I, uh, uh, as we look in chapter 4 uh, of Corinthians, Joel read down to verse 13. But let me just finish it up in chapter for you. He said, I don't write these things to shame you, which is sometimes what, what we feel like. He said, I don't write these things to shame you, but as beloved children, I warn you. In other words, he said, I look at you like my children, I'm warning you. For though you might have 10,000 people instructing you in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you to the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son of the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, that's important to remember. He said, what I'm teaching you, I teach everywhere in every church. It's not different for you than it is for somebody else. You, you say, well, this church up here, they can do it this way. You guys can do it. I, it. I teach the same thing every church, everywhere. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Now, Paul almost gets a little bit firm. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? There's something that I want to kind of key in on before we dismiss and go eat this morning. Uh, and, and it's a verse that as we read chapter 4 together, and I think this is what chapter 4 is revealing. If I could just summarize the whole chapter for you quickly. And at chapter 4, it's this. Where, where pride is... Right? And there was pride there in the Corinthian church in their hearts. They were getting puffed up. You heard that word a couple times. They were getting to be high-minded. Brother Joel said they began to think themselves something when they were really nothing. But where pride is, sin lives. And it thrives there. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Now you got to think about that. Where pride is. That means it, even if it's in your heart. Where pride is, sin lives and thrives. I was, had the opportunity to go down and, and, and talk to some of the, the kids this past week. And there's some scriptures that I shared with them. But it sent me to look in, in, in the Proverbs. Let me read you a scripture, Proverbs 21 and 4. Proverbs 21 4 says, The lamp that guides the wicked is haughty eyes and an arrogant heart, and it is sin. See, the Corinthians weren't being filled with the Spirit. Now, they had the Spirit of God because they were saved. But Paul in Ephesians, he says, I want you to be being filled with the Spirit of God. Continuously being filled with the Spirit of God. And the Corinthians were not being filled with the Spirit. They were being filled with pride. <laughs> over and over and over again. They were getting puffed up. They were becoming wise in their own eyes. They were becoming wise with human worldly wisdom. They were judging each other. And they were picking favorites. And they were creating these little factions and these little cliques within the church. And all these things based on their own wisdom, their own judgments. And they were rebelling against the truth that Paul had been teaching them. And it was all pride. It was all pride. Now, when we allow pride to come into our hearts... And I want you to really hear this. When you allow pride to come into your heart, when I allow it to come into mine, we allow sin to reign in us. We have a clear commandment from God in Romans. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. You're not to allow sin to reign. But when you allow pride to take over your heart, you can rest assured sin is reigning. I want to quickly show you the symptoms, just four little symptoms that might be evident in our lives of pride. And just look into your own heart this morning. Don't, don't worry about anybody else's heart. Don't worry about what anybody else is thinking or feeling. Just look into your own and see if there's a root of pride in the ground of your heart anywhere. First, and it's simple. One of the things the Corinthian church was doing was rebelling against the truth. So rebellion is a form of pride. You know how this shows up? It's a lack of submission. It's a lack of obedience to God and His Word. And unwillingness to submit is pride. When I say, when I say, look, I'm not doing it. To God's commandment, you can rest assured you're in rebellion against God. Amen. You're, you're now fighting against God. We, we, we can read a scripture and say, I get it. I understand what it says, but I can't do it. Or, more appropriately, because let me, let, me, let me rephrase that for you. Let, let me say it this way. There's no commandment in the scripture that you can't do. But there may be something that you want. God didn't ask us to do anything we can't do. Amen? Amen? Instead, what God requires of us is obedience to Him. And whether or not we will do that is up to us. And so, when we, when we hear a command from God and we say, I won't do that, I won't submit to that, I, I, I won't obey that, and God will just have to forgive me, you're in rebellious pride. And now sin is reigning. And, and, and you see, when we rebel against God, we rebel against God's word, against God's authority. And, and, and then it's confronted. Because here's what God does as a loving father. When we get sin reigning in our hearts again, we go out and we sin. God lovingly comes along and convicts us. Now God is not, he, he's not a bad father. So, like a good father would, he sends his messenger to convict. So, maybe it's through preaching or through a faithful friend or through your personal study at home when you pick up your Bible or whatever. But somehow, the Holy Spirit convicts you. But when you're in pride, what happens is, is you refuse to repent. And instead, what you want God to do is you want God to repent of his word. Well, he won't. Well, he won't. Either you obey God or you won't obey God. But which one will it be? Amen? Amen. Amen. Here, here, listen. Here's the reality. There's lots of things that we know to do good. But we don't do. Which is sin, the Bible says. Amen? There's lots of things we know to do good that we won't do. And, 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 and what we say is, well, you know, my pride just wouldn't let me do that. So who's in control of you? Is it the Lord? Or is it your pride? Who owns you? Who has lordship over your life? Are there areas in your life where you're rebelling against God? 
Are there areas in your life where sin is reigning in your mortal body where Jesus doesn't have authority? Is there any scripture that you would read and say, I don't care what it says. I'm not doing it. And you say, no, never. Re-examine. Re-look. It's happening day in and day out. And it was happening in the Corinthian church. They were rebelling against the truth that they'd been taught by Paul and through the Holy Spirit and through Apollos and through Cephas and all these other men. They'd been teaching truth and they were rebelling against that truth. Let me tell you the second one. I'll be quick. A lack of gratitude or an entitlement attitude. That's prideful. When we're not thankful for what God has given us, we read it today. Brother Joel read it. He said, he said, well, what is it that, that you have that you didn't receive? What, what, what do you think you got that God didn't give to you? Amen. You say, well, I work for what I have, not without the Lord's help you didn't. Not without his breath, not without his strength, not without his, his work in you. So what is it that you have that you didn't receive? Nothing. And so he goes on to say, if you received it and you didn't earn it, why are you boasting about it? Right? If, if, if you know you've got it and, and really you didn't deserve it or you couldn't have got it on your own, now you're boasting about it. And a true Christian understands this point. God is to be thanked for everything. Amen. God is to be thanked for everything. When you look at your possessions, you should be thankful for those. Not just happy to have them, but actually stopping and giving God thanks for what you have. When you look at your family, be thankful for them. Amen? Amen. Take time to stop and say, don't just say, well, I feel so thankful. Take time to stop and say the fruit of your lips, giving thanks unto God. Take time to stop and say, Father, I thank you for my wife, for my husband. For my children, for my family, my parents, my church, for all these things. I thank you for my health. I, I, I thank you for the, the, the time that you've given me today. I thank you for allowing me to wake up this morning. Do you guys realize, and I'm sure you, you're just like me, you do realize, how much we take things for granted? I mean, just this morning we read Brother Obi, and I think about those those kids standing in line and, 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 and rushing in to get a piece of bread and a drink of tea. And we'll go downstairs and we'll eat our fuel. And we have no issues. And yet we'll go, yet we'll go home and find something to whine about. Poor, beautiful us. Come on. Everything we have, we have from God. We should be the most thankful people. Amen. We should be so thankful. So grateful. We let one little thing or two little things or something little pile up against us. And we'll get it in our minds that that that, that we don't, that, you know, that, that everything's against us. Everything's wrong. Life. Our life is so hard. Our life is so difficult. That's the, that's the enemy. You're blessed, church. No matter what situation you're in. You're blessed. Let me, let me read to you a scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I, I, I'm trying to be quick. I really am. 
Especially since you left. All right. That, see, that's what happens this morning. Just so be, you know, I came in and the church smells like an Italian restaurant. <laughs> and, and I thought, Lord, everybody's like, we're going to have to hurry and get this preaching done. And here I am trying to get there. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Beware that you don't forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. How do we know that we've forgotten the Lord? We stop keeping his commandments. His judgments, his statutes, which I have commanded you. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and are dwelling in them. And when your herds and your flocks have multiplied and your silver and your gold have multiplied. And all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Who brought, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Could be, it's just as easy to say who brought you out of the world and saved you. Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and, and, and thirsty land where there was no water. Who brought water for you out of the flint rock. Who, led you, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, which he might humble you and that he might test you and do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, it's by my power and the might of my hand that we've gained this wealth. I, I, I'm reading to you exactly the way we live. Now I'm not saying all the time, all of us all the time. But just listen through it here. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day, you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. What was the obedience he was looking for? They should have a thankful heart for everything that God gives them. Amen. Be thankful. We, we, we take each other for granted. We take our families for granted. We take our friends for granted. We take our possessions for granted. We take our Bibles for granted. When you don't read them, you're taking it for granted. We take prayer for granted when we don't do it. We take our church for granted when we stop coming. <laughs> you're here, so you don't have to feel too bad about that. When we lose our thankfulness, we, we perish, we're destroyed, and we don't like to think that God would do it, but rest assured He will. You know why he did? For your own good. He didn't say that to them to threaten them out of, out of a, a, a mean, disciplinary, hateful attitude. He said that because he knows if he has to take them out of that to keep them without pride, then he will. If he has to take things away, if he has to take that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. If he has to take things away, when you lift up an idol before him and it's setting up rain in your heart and you're beginning to forget your God, if he has to take your idol from you, he will. Be very careful what you put before God. Lest you see it destroyed. 
me tell you the third thing. We're getting dangerously close. Criticalness, bitterness. Listen, we heard it today. We have no need to judge harshly. The Lord's going to come and judge the secrets of the hearts of men. Amen. He's going to bring to light the hidden things that are in darkness. When we're busy finding fault in other people, we're too busy to be obedient ourselves. When we're busy uh, 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 holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness, we're not being obedient to God. When we waste our time arguing and fighting, it's pride. It's pridefulness. Think about it. How much time have you wasted in your life? Just arguing over things that were really important. Think, listen, you don't, don't say it here. But think about your marriage. And if you tell me you don't argue in your marriage, I need your help. Because <laughs> I'm not perfect in mine. Amen. I think every couple I've ever talked to has little things. But you know what? Some of the arguments that Shasta and I have had over the years, I, I can remember how mad we were. I, I, but I can't even remember what they were about. Because they were so unimportant. They were so, uh, so silly. How much time do we waste in doing things that, 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 that I'm arguing and fussing? How many churches have split over little arguments and pride creeping into the hearts of its members? It's sad. How, how, how many blessings? Think about it this way. How many friendships? How, much, how many laughs did we miss out of because we had bitterness and unforgiveness against people? How many times did we miss seeing our own sins that God was trying to show us because we were busy inspecting everybody else's? That's a harder one. Just got to ask yourself, am I an overly critical person? I've got bitterness in my heart. Am I too busy looking at other sins to see the sins that God wants me to see in me? Fourth one. This is the last one. A sign or symptom of pride is you don't listen well. No. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You don't mind giving advice, but you're pretty poor at taking it. You aren't teachable. You don't want to be instructed. You don't want to be corrected. That's a bad sign that pride has creeped up. Nobody likes correction. Nobody does. Nobody likes to be told maybe you're making a wrong decision. But, but I had the opportunity to go down this past week to the, to the, uh, to the kids uh, on Wednesday night. And we had a great time. I enjoyed it so much. And one of the scriptures that we read was Proverbs chapter 1 verse 5. And I'm going to read it to you. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. You know what that means? I asked the kids what that meant. They picked it up just like this. Never stop learning. You never, you never have all the wisdom you need. You never know everything. The best thing that you could do is maintain a teachable spirit and be willing to learn and surround yourself with godly counsel. Surround yourself with people. Really, you should have a counsel of people in your life that you can call, text, message, whatever, and get with that love you and love you enough to tell you the truth. <laughs> now, they don't do it in a mean way. They don't do it in a hateful way. 
They do it to help you make a better decision. Because how many of you know sometimes we don't make the best decisions by ourselves? Left to my own devices, I'll follow Bill's will all day long. But Bill's will don't lead to righteousness and Bill's will don't lead to heaven. The Lord's will does. I need people around me that say, you're getting off track, brother. You're getting off track. You've got to steer back on. Every Christian has to be instructed. From the time we're saved to the time we die, we're in a growing process. We're supposed to be becoming more like Christ. And that's one of the reasons when people ask me, well, I'm a Christian, but why do I have to go to church? That's one way that God uses the local church pastors, teachers, elders to instruct in righteousness. To instruct on how to live. It's part of the godly counsel that God's put around you. That's why Paul said in that scripture, you've got 10,000 instructors. You've got all these Christians around, you've got 10,000 instructors. But he said, I've begotten you through the gospel. Imitate me. I'm your spiritual mentor is what Paul was saying to that church. Are you, a te are you a teachable person? Or are you resistant to instruction? Do you submit yourself to the teaching of those that God has placed in your life? Or do you push back against that? Do you get mad when somebody tries to correct you? I've been there. I've been corrected before and been mad and had to go back and eat crow and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't act the way I did. Are you resistant to God's authority and God's commandments? See, this is what Paul says to conclude chapter 4. Because Paul's told him, I want to be like a, a loving father to you. I, I, I want to come in a spirit of love and gentleness. But this is how he closed it. He said, I'm going to come shortly if the Lord wills. And when I come, it's up to you how I come. I can come with a rod or I can come with love. Man, it sounds harsh, doesn't it? You know, that's the kind of language that makes churches want to, makes members want to leave churches today. You don't get to come with me with a rod. Paul didn't ask their opinion. He said, I'm coming. And when I come, I'm going to put some things in order. I'm going to set some things straight. And he said, I have, and, and, and you're going to hear more about it, right? He said, I love you like a father loves their children. And when I come, listen, a father that loves his children, he is gentle and loving to them. But when they need discipline, they get disciplined. Amen. Amen? Amen. And that's what he said. He said, I'm going to remove the spirit of pride from the church. I'm going to get rid of those that are prideful. Those that have puffed themselves up. And we'll see more about why he says it. But let me just give you a brief rundown. Because next week we're going to jump right into chapter 5. And he's going to talk about immorality in the church. He's going to talk about the need to deal with it. He's going to go on in the chapters that follow. And the intensity is going to rise up more and more. And he's going to get specific. He's going to talk about how dare Paul. He's going to talk about specific sins. He's going to step on toes. He's going to say things to certain people in the church that's going to hurt their feelings. But he's more worried about the integrity of the church than he is about one or two. The church as a whole was where his heart was. He's going to say this. He's going to, he's going to talk about Christians not taking each other to court. Because God says if you're a Christian, you're not allowed to take another Christian to court. 
Oh, somebody says, well, now that was back then. No, that's today too. He said there should be, and we'll read it next week. He said there should be, well, maybe in a week or two, that there should be people wise enough in the church to settle disputes between two brothers or two sisters in the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. He's going to talk about sexual immorality. He's going to talk about church discipline. He's going to talk about marriage and intimacy in marriage. He's going to talk about singleness. He's going to talk about eating food sacrificed to idols. He's going to talk about supporting ministers and elders. He's going to talk about the Lord's Supper and head covers. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts and how they're to be used. He's going to talk about a lot of specific things. And he's going to set things in order. And in chapter 5, next week you're going to see, he immediately, before he gets there even, deals with one of the sins in the church. He said, I judge it even though I'm not there. I'm already judged. The decision's been made. Cast this brother out. And we get very uncomfortable when we talk about those things. But we have an obligation to keep the integrity of the church. And listen. Where pride is, sin reigns. And God does not want sin reigning in His church. Where pride is, sin reigns. If it's in your heart today, then what, no matter how much you love God, if pride is in your heart, then God's not reigning in your heart. Sin is. And that's hard preaching. But it's just the truth. One of the many problems that the Corinthians had, one of the many problems that our churches all across the nation have today. Is pride. Amen. Let's stand on our feet.